Welcome to another powerful word from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church in the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Okay. I just changed my message about four o'clock today, so forgive me if I'm not right exactly, you know, on point here. But today, uh, I've I, 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 I heard so much from the Lord. I didn't know uh, exactly how much I could even share tonight. But tonight's title for right now is "Be Our King." Be our king. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that applies in just a moment. We're going to be going to the book of Judges. We'll be reading from the last portion of chapter 8 and into chapter 9 uh, in just a little bit. But let me uh, tell you that a couple of Sundays ago, we discussed um, Jesus going through Samaria. You may remember, it was if you were here for that Sunday morning, or if you've seen it on, on Church Online, then you know that we were, uh, we were uh, uh, talking about a specific city in Samaria. In the New Testament calls it Sychar. The Old Testament called it Shechem. Okay? It's the current uh, modern-day city of Nablus, and I showed you some pictures. It's, uh, you know, so many things happened in that particular city. Uh, and I showed you a few pictures, as I said, and I told you that so many of the Bible stories happen in that little area. You know, uh, 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 it was where Abraham built his first altar, right there in that little area. I showed you a picture of that. Uh, and and uh, it's, it's also where, um, uh, where uh, Joseph's bones are buried. You know, after Joseph died and then, you know, 430 years after they went down into Egypt, they carried Joseph's bones out and then 40 years in the wilderness and then another 25 years in conquering the land of Canaan as much as they did. And then the last chapter of Joshua, they buried Joseph's bones right there in Shechem, okay, uh, right in that little place. And, and uh, it, it's also the place, Shechem is the place where Jacob's well is, where Jesus met the woman at the well. Jacob uh, bought a parcel of ground there. And, uh, and right up on the hill, there are two mountains on either side, one mountain on either side of Shechem. One of them is Mount Ebal, where the curses were pronounced by Joshua and the children of Israel when they came into the land of Canaan. And then Mount Gerizim is where the blessings were pronounced. And Mount Gerizim, right on the crest, right up on the, on the upper slope of Mount Gerizim, overlooking Shechem, is the city of Samaria. And Samaria, you may remember, uh, 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 is both a city and a region. In that city is where the kings of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, as, as opposed to Jerusalem for the kingdom of Judah, the northern ten tribes of Israel, that's where the kingdom was administrated from, Samaria, from that city. And the region of Samaria, and perhaps even the very city of Shechem, is where Philip went to preach the first evangelistic gospel meeting, and revival broke out there, so that all the people with one accord gave heed to the things that Philip spoke, and they all were born again, and later Peter and John went there, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts, the eighth chapter, you can read about that. So many things happened right there. Elijah and Elisha, Naaman the leper, all of the things happened just right there, literally within a stone's throw, right off the side of that mountain, Mount Gerizim, city of Samaria, throw a stone right down into the city of Shechem. Okay? 
and Jacob's well and all of that that we talked about a couple of Sundays ago. Well, uh, the setting for tonight uh, is also the setting of this city Shechem, the same city, okay? Uh, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a story about a mighty man of valor and, and his descendants. And the story goes, uh, you know, you can read it, Judges 7, 8, 9, okay? But we're going to focus on the part of the story. Let me set you up for what happened in this same little city, this same little, uh, you know, little area. Um, First of all, Midianites, who were from the land of Midian, they were raiders and marauders. Okay, bands of Midianites would leave and cross the Jordan River, leave the, 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 the eastern bank of the Jordan River in Midian, go across the Jordan River and come into the land of Canaan and specifically into that area and they would steal the crops around the Galilee and also all throughout that region because it's a very fertile region. And they would not just steal the crops, they would take, uh, you know, uh, uh, take all their food and would leave them nothing and, and their animals and everything. Everything. And th- this was happening, you know, um, so much that there was a famine in the land. And many of us imagine that that was the very time that Ruth, you know, the book of Ruth, the first verse in the book of Ruth, talks about Naomi and her husband having to leave Israel because of the famine. Most likely it was in that time of the raiding of the Midianites. There was just no food there. So they had to leave and they moved to Moab. Well, Back to Judges. Uh, the people cried out and said, God, help us. God, help us. You know, we're, we're having to hide our food and we're having to hide to eat. And so God sent an angel to a man named Gideon. Do you remember Gideon? Maybe you've read it. If you haven't, let me encourage you to read it because it's a wonderful story. And the angel shows up and says, oh, mighty man of valor. <laughs> you know, basically the Lord has chosen you. And Gideon said, listen. If the Lord was with us, why are we having all this trouble? Man, there is a question. You know, if God was really with us, then why, are, why is it raining and hailing and sleeting and snowing on us? You know, why, why are we having all this trouble? What's going on? I mean, if God really cares about us and is for us, then why, why are we having such a push? Well, the angel began to tell Gideon that he had been called of the Lord. And so Gideon is, is, is trying to feel his way through this and, and uh, uh, in in fact, uh, you know, he's, he's encouraged to go and tear down the altar of Baal that's being worshipped there in the city that he lives in. So he, he goes down there and just tears it down. Well, the people get up the next morning and say, who tore down the altar to Baal? Well, Gideon did. They said, we're going to kill Gideon. And Gideon's daddy said, hold on a second, wait a second. Why do you want to fight for a god? If Baal's upset, let Baal kill him. <laughs> Thank God for good wise daddies, huh? And they said, oh, pretty good idea. We'll let Baal kill him. Well, Baal didn't kill him because there is no Baal. And so, <laughs> uh, and, and so they ended up calling Gideon Jerubabel, which means that, you know, hey, look, if, if, if Baal's so bad, let Baal take care of it, you know. <laughs> but he didn't, you know. Uh, and, and, and so Gideon continues in his calling, and he... he is called by God to put together an army and to go and fight against these Midianites. You may have read the story. It's, uh, it, it's, it's probably a little familiar to you, even if you haven't read it, because this is where Gideon said, listen, if this is really you, God, 
I'm going to put a fleece out. You know, I'm going to lay this sheepskin out on the ground. And if it's really you, then in the morning when I get up, let this sheepskin, let this fleece be wet and the ground be dry. Well, Gideon got up the next morning, the ground was dry. He went and picked up the sheepskin and he squeezed water out of it and it ran out. He said, whoa, this must be God. But wait, God, one more time. If it's really you, Lord, I'm going to lay this uh, sheepskin down. And when I get up in the morning, let all the ground be wet, but let the sheepskin be dry. So he got up the next morning. Sure enough, you know, the fleece was dry and the ground was wet. He said, okay, God, I can do this. Well, I believe it's you. I don't know how I'm going to do it. But I believe it's you. You know, uh, that's often the place we find ourselves in. Whenever we know that something is God, we don't know how God's going to do it, but we feel as though that he wants us to, 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 to make a real run at it. And so Gideon told him, I'm going to make a run at it. So he ended up sending out notice to all the tribes. Come and join me. I'm going to lead you guys to battle. I'm called of God. Come on and join me. Well, 32,000 men came and joined Gideon. 32,000 soldiers, that's quite a lot. God said, Gideon, there's too many people here. You can't go out to battle with the Midianites with 32,000 people. These men liable to think that they did it. Tell all of them that don't want to be here to go home. 22,000 left. He only's got, he's only got 10,000 people now. 22,000 were afraid. And that's what he said. Anybody that's afraid, anybody that doesn't have courage, anybody that doesn't really want to fight, go home. <laughs> See you. 22,000 exit. Boy, there's a real revival for you. God looked at the 10,000 and said, that's still too many, Gideon. What I need you to do now is whittle the 10,000 down. Take them down to this brook and you watch. There's going to be two groups of people and you separate them. One group of people, when you tell them to get a drink from the brook, they're going to get down on their hands and knees and put their lips down in the water and suck it up. Put those people in one group. But the people who bend down on one knee and pick up the water in their hands and drink it, you know, keeping their eyes open, set those in another group. Well, 9,700 men got down and stuck their head down in the water and drank. 300 people in that group. Surely he's going to choose the 9,700 group. Nope. God chose the 300 group. And when God chose the 300 group, Gideon said, oh my goodness, I've only got 300 people. God said, well, now you'll know. Because he was going up against the Midianites who had 120,000 soldiers with 300 men. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Y'all get the picture? So Gideon goes down and he tells them, okay, here's what we're going to do. Exactly what the angel said to do. You know, put a, put a, picture in one hand with a lamp in it and a trumpet in the other and when i give you the signal you blow the trumpet and you break the picture let the light shine and and he he divided the men into three groups of 100 and they blew the trumpet and they shouted the sword of the lord and the sword of gideon only what they had was a trumpet and a light didn't say anything about a sword. They had a trumpet and a light. And the trumpet and the light was the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. And when all the people saw that happening around and heard the noise, the Bible says that God confused the Midianites and they turned on themselves and they began to destroy themselves. You know, that's one of God's favorite ways to destroy your enemies is just to let them destroy themselves. You know, Jesus didn't hang Judas. Uh, uh, Judas. 
Judas hanged himself. You know, uh, so many times God turned the enemies on one another. Well, uh, we can go on and on and on. And, you know, uh, 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 Gideon also built an altar and called the name of the altar Jehovah Shalom. That's where we get the God of peace. And God gave the Israelites 40 years of peace under Gideon's rule. Isn't that amazing? That's where we pick up in Judges 8. And there's no better way for me to tell the story than to simply read it to you. Okay? So let me read this to you as you follow along. Uh, for those of you who are uh, uh, watching uh, online tonight, we're going to try a couple of things to make sure, but I'm going to be reading a little faster than they could put up the lower thirds, and so uh, I didn't want to confuse anybody. I'm reading from Judges 8, beginning in verse 28, and let's see how this works. Okay, um, That is the story of how the people of Israel defeated Midian which never recovered. Throughout the rest of Gideon's lifetime, about 40 years, there was peace in the land. Then Gideon, son of Joash, returned home. He had 70 sons born to him, for he had many wives. He also had a concubine in Shechem, who gave birth to a son whom he named Abimelech. Okay, now you got the picture? He's home. He rules for about 40 years. He lives to be a very old man, by the way. And he's got 70 sons because he had many wives and he had a concubine who was in Shechem, had a son named Abimelech. Verse 1 of chapter 9. One day, Gideon's, uh, forgive that little. See Judges 6.32, but you'll find that. Son Abimelech went to Shechem to visit his uncles, his mother's brothers. He said to them and to the rest of his mother's family, Ask the leading citizens of Shechem whether they want to be ruled by all 70 of Gideon's sons or by one man. And remember that I am your own flesh and blood. Now here Abimelech, the son of the concubine, is going to his uncles and to his family in Shechem and saying, now do you want one man to rule you or do you want 70 judges? You want 70 circuit judges to be ruling you? You want to have to please 70 or you just want to be led by one? And don't forget, I'm your flesh and blood. He's politicking a little bit, you know. He's kind of getting, you know, behind the scenes. He's kind of, you know, trying to sell them on the idea of why he would be better than, than the sons. So Abimelech's uncle gave his message to all the citizens of Shechem on his behalf. And after listening to this proposal, the people of Shechem decided in favor of Abimelech because he was their relative. Do you know sometimes people vote for people just because they're related to them? Isn't that a horrible thing to do? Okay. <laughs> I'm just reading the Bible. Okay. They gave him 70 silver coins from the temple of baal Berith, which he used to hire some reckless troublemakers who agreed to follow him. Ooh, isn't it horrible whenever people you've elected hire reckless troublemakers? He went to his father's home in Orpah, and there... On one stone they killed all 70 of his half-brothers, the sons of Gideon. 
But the youngest brother, Jotham, escaped and hid. Then all the leading citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo called a meeting under the oak tree beside the pillar at Shechem and made Abimelech their king. When Jotham heard about this, when he heard that they were calling a meeting and, 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 and they were you know, going to be making him king, when Jotham heard about this, he climbed to the top of Mount Gerizim. If you saw a couple of weeks ago on Sunday, that's the, the mount that I was standing on looking down on Shechem there and, and on Jacob's well right there in that city. And he shouted, listen to me, citizens of Shechem. Listen to me if you want God to listen to you. Well, that's pretty bold. You know, look what he says. Verse 8. Once upon a time, the trees decided to elect a king. First, they said to the olive tree, be our king. <laughs> that's where I got our title for tonight. Be our king. You know, not everyone that asks you to be their king is really doing you a favor. Listen to what this son of Gideon is saying to the leaders that day who just killed all of his brothers and who's making this half-brother, a son of a concubine, king. Be our king. Once upon a time, the trees decided to elect a king. First, they said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree refused, saying, should I quit producing the olive oil that blesses both God and people just to wave back and forth over the trees? What a perspective. Verse 10. Then they said to the fig tree, you be our king. And the fig tree also refused, saying, should I quit producing my sweet fruit? just to wave back and forth over the trees. Then all the other trees, verse 12, said to the grapevine, you be our king, but the grapevine also refused, saying, should I quit producing the wine that cheers both God and people just to wave back and forth over the trees? Verse 14, then all the trees finally turned to the thorn bush, to the bramble, and said, Come, you be our king. And the thorn bush replied to the trees, If you truly want to make me your king, then come and take shelter in my shade. <laughs> come on now, what shade does a thorn bush have? Okay, You know the difference between thorn bush and those others? Thorn bush has no fruit, has nothing of value. It's not got any history to it. That it's, it's not created anything beneficial, you know. Uh, you, you come and lodge in the shelter of my shade. If not, if you don't want me to be your king, if you're not going to let me be king, then let fire come out from me and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Let me just go ahead and consume and destroy. Verse 16. Jotham continued his fable. Now make sure you have acted honorably, he said to the leaders of Shechem. And in good faith, make sure you have acted honorably and in good faith by making Abimelech your king and that you have done right by Gideon and all of his descendants. Have you treated him, Gideon, with the honor he deserves for all he accomplished? For he fought for you 
and risk his life when he rescued you from the Midianites. But today you have revolted against my father and his descendants, killing his 70 sons on one stone. You have chosen his slave woman's son Abimelech to be your king just because he is your relative. If you have acted honorably, I love the fact that Jotham gives them the benefit of the doubt. He's going to bless them if blessing is, 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 is possible. Okay? If you have acted honorably and in good faith toward Gideon and his descendants today, then may you find joy in Abimelech and may he find joy in you. May the kingdom prosper and be happy. May everything. Listen, if you have acted in good faith and honorably and with respect, if that's where you're coming from, well, then great. Then, then, then let me just pray that you find joy in your new king and he finds joy in being your king. But if you have not acted in good faith, then may fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leading citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo. And may fire come out from the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. My goodness. Sounds kind of like what God does to his enemies as he turns them on themselves. It sounds like, you know, if leaders of nations in this situation, you know, uh, have not done what they should do, then then there could come a reckoning at some point where the very people who empower them turn upon them and they turn upon the people who empowered them. Verse 21, Then Jotham escaped and lived in Beer because he was afraid of his brother Abimelech. Because Abimelech wasn't just going to stop there. He was going to kill him as well. So he went down south and lived. Now, verse 22, After Abimelech had ruled over Israel for three years... My goodness, you know, one of the passages I read today in Samuel about Saul and King Saul and Samuel, God waited 450 years in one instance before he decided to, you know, uh, go up against the people who had hurt his children 450 years earlier. Isn't that amazing that God is so patient? Here it's been three years after Jotham has said this. After three years of him ruling and reigning, God sent a spirit, verse 23, that stirred up trouble between Abimelech and the leading citizens of Shechem, and they revolted. God was punishing Abimelech for murdering Gideon's 70 sons. It just took three years to do it. And the citizens of Shechem for supporting him in his treachery of murdering his brothers. Wow. Uh, I encourage you to read the rest of the story and how it unfolded. But let me cut to the chase. I think you have a picture. I hope I've left you with a fair picture of what the Word of God is painting here in truth about how God interacts with us and how, how he expects us to be honorable and do what we do with honor and not just, you know, um, um, throw our support behind people simply because, you know, they're our friends, they're our family, they're our, our you know, colleagues, they're our, you know, uh, but rather because they are honorable and they're right and they're just. And that's what God expects us to support. The greatest lesson that I learned from this story, by the way, is the value of being content. Listen to me now. 
there is such a great value in being content with what God has given me, where He has placed me, and how He is using me currently. There is such a value, let me say that again, there is such a value in being content where you are with what you have, with how God is using you, and with the fruit of your life. There is such a value in being content with what God has given you, where he has placed you, how he is using you, and the product of your life. There is such value, I'm going to say it one more time, in being content and not being moved with discontentment. And this is the the, the lesson that I learned from, from the olive tree, from the fig tree, and from the grapevine. It's the lesson that I learned that kept them out of greater trouble. And they were content. They saw their usefulness to God and their current usefulness to God, what God had called them to be, what he had given them, the opportunity he had given them, and all that they were doing and all they were involved in. They saw that valuable to both God and man. Would it not have been more valuable for them to have become the king? Would it not have been more valuable for them to have become ruler? No. Because they certainly saw and understood the value of being content with what God had given them, where he had placed them, and how he was using them currently. There is such a value in the peace that comes to us. The peace of contentment in where we are and what we're doing and how God is using us. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6.6, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. It is a great promotion. It is great gain to be godly and content. Okay? Not ungodly and content, and not godly and discontent. Because certainly with godliness, you're being used to produce a fruit for both God and man. Not every move up that proverbial ladder of success is a promotion. You know, we all have been given special abilities, every one of us, something, something you have been gifted, something you have been given to do that you are just naturally good at. There's something that you can do better than 10,000 people around you, and they're trying harder than you are, but you have a natural God-given ability to do it. You can do it. You know, that's a gift from God. We have all been given special abilities. We have all been given capacities. We have all been given what the Greek word is, the metron. We've been all been given a scope, an umbrella. We've all been given an area, a sphere of influence, and a sphere of ability. We have all been given something that only God can design, something that only God can decide. And if God wants to move us up a ladder, if God wants to move us into a greater position, if God wants to promote us, we will, we, we, we will follow that. But promotion for promotion's sake or, or dis, promotion for discontentment or that imagining that one place is better because the world puts it at a higher uh, a premium than, what, than, 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 than you know, what God may. We cannot allow the world's ideals to set our goals. We must realize that God is working through us 
to will and do of his good pleasure. And, and uh, it, it's, it's just like the fingers, just like Paul wrote in, 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 in Corinthians 12, in Romans 12, that, that, that I cannot allow my, my, my finger to be discontent because it's not my eye or because it's not my ear. I cannot allow uh, some part of the body to be discontent with where God has placed it, how he set it in. If, you know, if, 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 if it is supplying, if it's strengthening, if, if it's a part, then it's making you know, the body of Christ successful as opposed to just having one you know, successful finger. You, know? you get the picture. We cannot afford, as I said, to allow the world and its ideals to set the course of our lives or determine our goals. It is wise, uh, and, and it is a wise person who knows their value to God. It is a wise person who is content with their value to God. God values you. Your family values you. Your community values you. It's a wise person who understands their value to their family, to their friends, to their community, and is content with that. A second lesson I've learned from Judges 7, 8, and 9 is the importance of honoring those who paid a price and who accomplished things in days gone by that give me the opportunities I have today. There are people in our nation, people in our history, people in our church history who have pioneered, who have given their lives, who have, like Gideon, who, who, who risked his life and accomplished all that he accomplished and, 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 and rescued the Israelites from the Midianites. And when he died, and it, it, it went on a few years later, they just absolutely threw his memory in the trash. And not only that, but they killed his sons. And, and, and they did such a disgrace and such a dishonor and such a disrespect to all the opportunities. But they're the very reason that they had Shechem, the very reason they still had a life, the very reason that, that they were, you know, that, that their ancestors, you know, ever made it was because of all that Gideon did. We can ill afford as a nation, as a community, as a church to forget those who paid the price for us. They may come into disfavor with this world, but I'm here to tell you that men like Christopher Columbus, they belong on statues across America. Paul Revere, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, these are men who gave their lives who gave their all, and their accomplishments should not be forgotten because some woke society decided that they were no longer to be honored. Our military, our policemen, these are people who put their life on the line every day. And one of the lessons I have learned here is to not give honor to whom honor is due, to not be respectful to, 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 to people who gave their lives and laid down their fortunes and gave their sacred honors. So I could stand here today and have my freedom of speech. We can ill afford to forget those people who paid the price. Martin Luther. Martin Luther King. We can ill afford to throw Abraham Lincoln in the trash. God will not be happy with us if we do that. God will not be happy with us if we do that. 
The world might be happy with us if we do that, but God will not be happy with us if we do that. He stood with men and women of old. We cannot begin to allow such an erosion of honor and respect. The reason why the nation of Israel ended up in such turmoil was because of what we read earlier. They forgot to treat Gideon and his descendants with the honor that they deserved for all they had accomplished. Romans 13 tells us to give honor to whom honor is due. Proverbs 3.27 says this, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Wow. Do you know, uh, I don't know any perfect people. The young man who was the youngest son who made that speech on the side of Mount Gerizim that day, his name was Jotham. I don't know any perfect people, but the name Jotham means Yahweh is perfect. Let me tell you who's perfect. Jesus. He's perfect. Okay? And he lives in each one of us. You have a special God-given ability. Be content and give honor to whom honor is due. Thanks again for joining us for another dynamic message from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.